and happy new year. Thank you so much for following me into 2024. I am looking forward to a great year of podcasts, exciting stories, great content. And we're starting off today with an interesting discussion about health and your own health as a caregiver or how you think of your health. And I think this is very appropriate for the first week of January where everybody's really thinking about New Year's resolutions or what can be done differently this year. So it's a wide ranging podcast. Please take what's valuable for you. Also, please take a moment to leave me a review wherever you might be listening to the podcast. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. I have another esteemed expert for you today. I am so glad to have David Stewart with us. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, Rebecca. I'm great. How are you doing? Excellent. I'm so excited to talk to you. You have such a wealth of knowledge and you just, I know you're a, an, an industry leader in this aging arena here and aging well specifically. And where I thought I could pick your brain would be, I know we've talked a little bit about the population that I serve, which are typically people from say 55 to 65 or a range that are trying to preserve themselves and their own health for two reasons. One is if they need to take some care of somebody else, like an aging parent or a grandchild or something. So they're, you know, preserving themselves for that. But then two, also just as they age, that they maybe have more options, that they have less disability, less disease, so that when they look at turning into their 80s or 90s, but we're trying to sort of reduce those chances that they would have a disability that would necessitate a special living situation or a caregiver or something like that. Does that sound like a good idea? That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So before we get started, just tell me a little bit about yourself, like where yeah. you're from, what you like doing. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a little farm town in Western New York near Buffalo, where it the snow is just epic. I currently live in Park City, Utah, where they think it snows a lot here, but they, they don't know snow like Buffalo. <laughs> that's right? snow. And it's sort of in my, up until about 56, I had a, a very successful career as a photographer. I lived in Paris and New York. And sort of my route was like Paris, New York, LA, Tokyo. And that's sort of what I did. And I worked at very high level of that, a lot of magazine covers and advertising. And then when I was 56, I'm, I'm 64 now. At 56, I started Aegist really is just a, an investigation into why when people spoke to people my age, like that we were a medical, medical condition in, in need of a solution. And I, I was like, I don't feel that way. I don't know anybody like that. So we started that about nine years ago. We did a lot of investigation trying to understand why people behave the way they did. And which led us to the, the conclusion that people's forward-looking decisions are based on how they feel about their physicality. And so that sort of brought us into the whole science, health, wellness realm. And, you know, so we do, we publish Aegis every Thursday, and it's now this fairly large global thing. And we also have a podcast called Super Age. And on our Super Age podcast, that's where I have the privilege of talking to a lot of super smart, very esteemed people, science, medical people about what's going on. And, and I sort of act as the Sherpa. I'm like, I'm like the interpreter and, and I'm, ha I'm having a heck of a good time. And that's always, I will say that's always needed when you talk to the most scientific people, 
and that translational piece of what they're discovering and how it impacts day-to-day life. I feel like there's a huge, that huge gap. And if you can ever find somebody that fills that gap effectively and takes all of the data and the PubMed research and then makes it usable, you know, I, I think those people, that's a very important piece of, of how this actually impacts other, other people. So that makes me think of a question. So when you talked about wanting to investigate perceptions, were you thinking more of the perceptions of ourselves as we age or how other people approach people who are in that age group? Oh, that's a really good question. We were looking at it in terms of why do certain people behave and it's like certain people in this age group behave in a certain way and certain other people behave in radically different ways. And we, so we we were trying to understand why that was, and it had to do primarily with how people saw themselves in the future. So if you don't feel very good about yourself in the future, you may be taking actions that will will cause you to reduce your lifespan. Um, right. But if right. you feel good about yourself in the future, you're more optimistic, you're going to be making more forward-looking decisions, more more positive decisions, essentially. Interesting, because that, that makes me think of, I talk about my dad sometimes in the podcast, and every male in his family died in their 50s of heart disease. And so he just grew up thinking he would die in his 50s of heart disease. And he, he's 71 now, and he just keeps, you know, thinking that I, I guess he's outlived everybody. But that has a huge impact on what you think about your future life when you look at, you know, whatever the role models are or the statistics. And you're and it does trickle down to affect behavior. So you're looking at the behavior as a result of the thoughts about the future self as a modifiable factor, right? For oh, how, oh, how, right, right. As the, yeah. as the modifiable factor, right? Yeah. And you know, what we tell people, I mean, people tell me 70% of your health and longevity outcomes are due to your behavior. I, I think it's more like 90. Sure. Um, sure. I think, I think we have tremendous agency over what we can do. And I think this is, this is one of the important messages I tell people like this is, you know, this is not a grim reality that you have to accept. It's, you know, you have a tremendous amount of impact on what your life is like, what your health is like, how long you're going to live. You know, you may get hit by a bus, true, but there's a lot of huge amount of things that, that are fairly simple that we can all do that make, you know, a huge impact on, you know, our, our outcomes, the, that, you know, your, your dad, your dad's family may have, you know, died early of um, coronary issues, but if he doesn't behave the way they did, if right. he's not eating what they're, what they ate, not X, ex- you know, you, you, there's a lot of things you can do here. Right. Right. Did you, when you were looking into this, did you come across almost an age in which this started to enter our minds? Cause you know, 20 year olds aren't necessarily thinking this way. Did you have kind of a, an average age that you felt like this became relevant? That's an interesting question. I think it's interesting. Although we, we never talk about anybody under 50, about almost half of my audience is under 50. So they like, they're already like, they want to know how to be like us, even though they're, in their thirties and forties. And I like, when does this sort of come in? I, I think, you know, there is an increasing. So I think what happens is as people get older, those around us get sick, they die. And, and so we, this comes sort of top of mind, but, but then sort of two things can happen there. You can say, Oh, you know, I know these three people 
you know, they died this horrible death. I guess that's going to happen to me too. That's one path you can take. Like res- other, resignation. Yeah. Like resignation. Like exactly. Yeah. And then the other path is, oh, that's bad. I don't want that happening to me. What can I do about this? So that's that's the other path. So when we're talking about empowering somebody that's looking at the aging process and we broke it down into, say, three or four fundamentals, just the buckets that you have mm-hmm. done the most research on and you feel like are most relevant, what would those three or four buckets be? They're five. Five. And, okay. Uh, sorry. I was, I missed it. By it's me. okay. <laughs> it's okay. So, and, and these are not novel. These are not anything radical. First thing is you got to sleep. If you're not sleeping, figure it out. There's a ton of research out there, you know, stop at the alcohol, stop at the caffeine, try and get up at the same time every day. You need good sleep. The next thing is, how are you moving? Like, and, and I think what happens is you get a little older, you sort of need to program. You need to be really conscious about what you're doing. So, you know, you can just like, you know, when you're 20, it's like, ah, whatever, I'll play tennis today or I'll go for a while, you know, whatever. You, you can't really do that. I mean, you can, but it's not going to work out as well. So you need to have some sort of a, a movement thing, even if that's just like, okay, I'm going to walk 15,000 steps today, or today's my aerobic day, or tomorrow's my strength training day. I mean, there's a ton, ton of free information out there about how to do these things. If you've never done them before, invest in a trainer who's really good and smart, um, and it's going to it's going to pay massive dividends. The, you know, the other thing is what are you eating? You know, nobody forced that Twinkie in your mouth. You did that. So like, don't do that. You know, try and, you know, try and not uh, the main culprit, I think are like these high glycemic load foods. Right. So that's, what's going to cause all kinds of metabolic problems. So you want to like sort of dial that down. If you're drinking Mountain Dew, don't do that. You know, try and get a handle on that. You probably are not eating enough protein and you want to keep up on your blood work. So, you know, you're a physician, um, right. see, a, see a physician like once a year at, at a minimum and find out, you know, what's going on here. What are your, what are your lipid levels? Like what's, you know, are you pre-diabetic? You got to do something about that. Um, and you can, is the thing. It's, you know, not that It can be difficult, but it's not that complicated. I'll say that. Right, right, right. And then your stress level. So there's good stress, which is like you go to the gym. That's a good stress. It's a hormetic adaptive stress. That's good. Chronic stress, bad. You know, hugely corrosive, high blood pressure, just all kinds of bad things are going to happen to your organs. So think about what are you doing to reduce your stress? You know, you somebody who likes to walk in nature, you're somebody who likes to meditate, you like to go bowling with your friends, you know, what is it? And then the last thing is your sense of connection. And by connection, I mean connection to other people, connection spiritually, connection to your purpose in life. You know, what's what's that part of your life look like? And I think that as we get older, I look at these as asset classes. And people talk about assets as like how much money they got in the bank or what's their house worth. Okay, that's great. But you need your health is an asset class. Your connection to other people is an asset class. And you need the longer you're going to be alive, the more emphasis you need to put on those now because they're going to be, you know, eroding with time. So you need to build them up. And it's all as as I tell people like 
if you're dealing, and this becomes complicated when you start dealing, if you have an aging parent that needs to be dealt with, I tell people, you know, it's like when you get on the airplane, they say, put the oxygen mask on you first, because what you don't want is two problems. Like right now you've got one, you've got one challenge. You don't want to make it two. And the ability, the, your ability to help other people is in direct proportion to, I'm going to use the word strong, as to how strong you are. So that's just not how heavy things you can pick up, although that's helpful. How emotionally strong are you? How relationally strong are you? How financially strong are you? And, and keep take care of yourself because A, that's what your parents are going to want you to do. And B, you don't want your kids taking care of you in the same position you're taking care of your parents. And the way you avoid that is you take care of yourself. And it's, you know, this stuff is not, it's not easy. It can be hard. It can be hard prioritizing these things, but it's ultimately not that complicated. It's fairly straight ahead stuff. Right. So we don't need to wait for a breaking news science on how to improve our health. There's well-established. This is, I mean, that's mentioned. Yeah. That stuff's going to happen. And, and absolutely, that's happening right now. But keep this in mind. If you want to take advantage of those things, you need to keep your organ systems in really good shape or you're not going to be able to take advantage of them. Like, you know, people ask me, like, what's the best way to live longer? And I just say, don't die. Like, right. you know, it's pretty simple. Well, it, it reminds me of some of the things that have come up in my podcasts and previous episodes have been people that are taking care of aging parents feel like they're the one standing court system for them. And they're the only person when I talk to them about how they're taking care of themselves, managing their own stress, they kind of feel like, well, but everything is about this parent. And so I try to sometimes invert this and say, but if you literally are the only human left on the earth that can take care of them, then now you become that, that amplifies the importance of your own health. And it's it's the opposite of what you would think. Like, I'm going to run myself into the ground to help this person. And at the same time, it's could be counterproductive from if you truly are the, the support system left for them, then that would even be triple the reason to, right. you know, try to preserve your health as, as best as possible, like permission to do that. If you can't do it for yourself, then do it because it's the best thing for that other person as well. If you're the sole support system, what happens when the support system collapses? Right. right. Then there's nothing. So yeah, you have to do this. You have to prioritize it. And it may feel weird. It may feel like, oh, but I've, I, I really need to be as present as possible. I need to really impact this. But you know, if you're not sleeping, your ability to relate, to be emotionally present is greatly diminished. Right. And right. So, you know, you want to be what you want is the best version of yourself to be able to help this other person. You don't want a diminished version of yourself helping the most important person in your life. One thing I would point out, and this is maybe a specific issue more for, for moms, is moms have a habit of doing this too, right? With their kids or like, oh mm. my, you know, I'll I'll give everything and not not take care of myself. And then there can be this very easy transition once your kids graduate and they're kind of off to college and you're floating a little bit and then an aging parent suddenly needs help. And what uh, I see is they fall right back in. It's, yeah. It feels very familiar. It's it's not a positive experience. doesn't feel good, but honestly, it feels comfortable and familiar 
to be in that state of, you know, I'll just, like I said, go into the negative on your own health to help somebody else. Like you've somehow already rationalized this for your children Mm -hmm. and to do this for a parent that is weak or disabled, like, like it's not a far jump for the brain to continue that pattern. And, And part of it's just the timing of the way life is people have kids later in life. And so they're not going to college until you're in your fifties and, and that type of thing. So I just wanted to throw that out there, but I do have a question for you. So you're talking about those five areas of health. There's a phase before they engage in that behavioral change and the contemplation phase before that, it has to be a thought or uh, some reasoning that's more than like, I want to be healthy or I don't want to be sick. And I'm wondering in your, in your research or working with people, do you have some examples of some thoughts or processes that happen in the brain before they engage in that behavioral change that have been successful? Well, yeah, I think this is, it's all situational. I think what often happens is the children will come in and say, mom, you're going to hell in a handbasket. And let me just explain to you what your future is going to look like if you keep this up. And by the way, we're not going to take care of you if you keep this up. So I've seen that. That works. Have you actually heard somebody say that? Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Yep. Am I here? I need can can we dive a little bit deeper? So this was like an intervention. Yeah. Uh, well, it's so she I, I you know, this is John McDonald. So John McDonald, who has a, you know, a couple million people on Instagram now called Training with Joan. Her daughter was a trainer. And it's, I think, about 16 or 70. Joan was just, you know, had like a bag of pharmaceuticals she had to take, high blood. It was just like the whole metabolic disaster. Right. And her daughter said to her, okay, you can continue down this path. This is fine. Let me just sort of paint what that's going to look like. You know, you're going to have 10 years in a bed with a lot of tubes in your arm, and then you're going to die. Or you can change. If you want to change, I can help you. I have all this expertise. I'm a trainer. If you don't want to change, that's fine. I'm out. <laughs> well, I think I need to interview this this person. I that's fascinating. But yes, but this is probably I know happening in different levels, right? Of right. Of, you know, either they're saying yeah. this out loud, or they're like, you know what, I'm going to move across the country, and you can email me or something. And uh, <laughs> so, I, well, I I mean, Joan, I. So Joan was 220 pounds and she never exercised in her life. Joan is now 130 pounds and I think she deadlifts about 300 pounds. She can do dead hang pull-ups with a 25 pound weight around her waist. So this is four, this is four years later. And I, I point this out to people when, when they say to me, well, it's impossible. You know, I'm whatever age, this is impossible. And I say, no, no, don't tell me you can't do this. I mean, you don't want to do it. Or it's hard. Okay, I'm good with that. But don't tell me you can't. And I, you know, the, Joan and, and her daughter are, you know, particularly vivid examples of this. And I, I right. don't know. But, you know, I think that one of the things to keep in mind is if you're sort of in the middle, you're sort of a sandwich person. And you've got these parents, you have these kids. Remember, the kids are watching you. You're not invisible. So if you decide to just sort of sacrifice yourself. In, you know, because you feel that's the right thing to do. The kids are going to see that. And you really want to model that behavior for your kids. I I think not. Right, right. 
Yeah. So that's an important part of modeling how you're going to be as you age as well and what you expect. And I think a lot of people are taking care of their parents, secretly hoping that their children are watching and thinking, okay, well, my mom and dad took care of their grandparents. So then if the aging parents age, then there will be this this tradition, there will be this cultural or religious uh, expectation that mm. that this is how this works. But you're adding a second element of, are you choosing maybe the the child thinking, well, are you choosing to be sick right. or disabled? Exactly. Versus, yeah, obviously, there are lots right. of examples where it's, oh. it's not necessarily a choice or a lifestyle issue. But I, you know, that's interesting. That's an interesting cultural question. Is the the thought of obesity and re- metabolic related diseases as an intentional choice at that age, and which you've mentioned that already, and how people even just perceive somebody aging with these comorbidities, and whether or not how that might impact the the care that they merit from their family. Yeah, does that make so? Ooh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's on a that? heavy one. Yeah, it is. It's really heavy. That's why I like that's to talk about these things. Uh, you know, care. Um, and 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 you know, and I I think that I, I like to have a lot of compassion for people who are having trouble, where they they either think like I I can't make these adjustments in my life; they're too hard. I, I I'm scared they don't work for me or they, I don't deserve them, you know, whatever these things are. And I, I think that, you know, if one is in that position where they have obvious comorbidities that are, that are probably behavior-based, it's, you, you can't change the direction of the ship overnight. And I think it's important to just be like, What's a small thing that I can win at this week? You know, what can I do? How can I maybe just improve my diet just a little bit? How much can I, did I walk today? Oh, I can walk. Okay, great. Let's, let's walk. And then when you're done with the walk, physically take your right hand, pat yourself on the left shoulder and say, good job. Because you won. You, you made an improvement. And I, it's, I think that expecting people to do this whole sort of 180 is really hard. And and so we we need to give ourselves credit for the the small changes we make and then acknowledge, you know, every time we do something we say we surprise ourselves and we think, "Oh, I have more capacity than I thought. What else can I do? Wow, maybe I can do this other thing. Isn't this great?" And, you know, to Hang around people who positively model the things that you want. If I actually, I get, I get fitness shamed. So I get people who send me emails or DMs and stuff and say, why, why are you eating like this? You know, take a break, have a donut, or do you really need to work out? Or what's all this stuff about sleep? Like, I, well, those are just my priorities and right. that's what works for me. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. But I for sure am not going to surround myself with people like you. You can do whatever you, you know, live however you want to live. It's your life. But, you know, that's sort of the other thing that we have. We have control and agency over that we often think that we don't. And I wonder if we look back at the example you gave with with Joan, that another narrative around that is an adult child saying, I care about you and I have the means of helping Mm-hmm. You and I, I want you to be around. I, I, I think you're an important part of my life. And I think that approach is usually 
on, you know, yes. in most familial situations, a more successful approach yes. than the sort of like the football coach style, like you better. And, and I, I just think of like the psychology of change. And when somebody has fellowship with you about an issue yeah. and then says, I care about you and I want us to move forward. And here's how I think I can help you. That if we're just talking about the basic engagement of somebody seeking help and getting help like she did, have you seen that? Uh, some factors yeah. that would be successful in that? I, I think, you know, Joan and Michelle are, they're not normal people. Um, right. <laughs> so I just want to be clear about that. They're outliers. But I, I think this idea of approaching someone and saying, I care about you. I really do. And I have a lot of confidence in what we can do together. You know, why don't you come with me? We're going to go do this thing together and start like little bits. I think everybody's a little different and, you know, you sort of need to, I really believe we need to meet people where they are. Um, and it's, you know, like we at Aegis, if you go to Aegis.com slash quiz, we have this thing called the super age quiz. What kind of super age are you? And it's designed specifically with that in mind like we realized after doing nine years this for nine years not everybody's the same people have different capacities different ambitions different interests so right. you know approaching people where they are and and thinking about okay where is somebody what can they do you know they maybe they just hate exercise and people at a certain you know they're sort of like my mom just like was like why would i do that but if you can do something like you say oh yeah well you can sort of trick people and you can say, well, let's go to the spa. They have a sauna. Isn't that great? We can sit in the sauna. So they're going to get a cardiovascular benefit from sitting in the sauna. Right. And right, right. they're not, actually, you know, they are exercising in a way, but in their minds, they're not. They're at the spa. So, right. you know, sort of approaching people that way and and doing it collaboratively versus sort of hierarchical direction. So I'm going to add one more context to this, as you mentioned, one of the buckets being stress or chronic stress. Mm. And I want to draw the contrast with if you're assisting somebody who's in poor health and they continue to make decisions like don't go to the doctor, don't take their medications, it's yeah. very, very common. And part of that is maybe there's some elements of dementia or other mental health issues here is that you become very clear on what you can control and what you can't. So the extent to which you can say, you know, let me help you, let me help you set up a pillbox, let me help you arrange transportation if that's what you want to do. But then being very careful not to step into this hyper responsibility, right. which I see happen as a chronic stressor, which is, oh my God, dad fell again because he's not listening to me and he didn't take his medications right and, and, and. And it's almost as if they are the executive of you know, the, that mm. person's health and you can see yeah. them assume this and they talk about it almost as if they are the CEO of their health and they kind of go ebb and flow with the health of somebody that they can't make those decisions. They can't control that. And so when I, just in the context of what I talk about all the time, that goes in that bucket of that's a chronic stressor that people can, can engage in, but not even be aware of. Yeah. I think especially when you get into dementia issues or, um, or just plain old belligerence. Um, right. You know, I, I think the best we can do is suggest and model behavior. So right. they remember you're not invisible. They see you and they listen to you and they observe what you're doing. So if you're doing something, they th that makes it more acceptable to them. And 
I do think that having sort of letting go and being, you know, I, I mentioned before the show, like my mom made some health decisions around her health towards the end of her life that I thought were not such a great idea, but that's her life and her decision. And it's like, okay, you sure you want to do this? Okay. Then I'm on board. How can I support you in this? And, and, you know, being so un, understanding that our goals and our ambitions are not the same as theirs. And that our, you know, we may see things that we think, oh, well, this would turn out better for you. That's not really, we need to bring that into account, but it's also, what do you want? Right. And then how, how can I support you in what you want? And acknowledging that this is a different, this person is not you and they have, they have free will and they, you know, out carving out dimension, things like that. But they, you know, they have a different set of priorities than you. They've lived a different life than you and supporting that and acknowledging that and saying, okay, this is what you'd like. Okay, great. How can I, how can I help with that? Yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm, enjoying this discussion. I appreciate you brainstorming with me through through some of these decisions and topics. There's one more area that I want to uncover, which is this, if you watch any of the, you know, documentaries on blue zones and those mm-hmm. types of things. So blue zones typically don't have any nursing homes or assisted livings or even senior care centers, because those are largely meant to have people aging in place or aging with their family members. And so what what is happening in our country for a million different reasons. But as people are aging, there is a resistance to living with their own children in a pursuit of as a long, long-term independent living, but well outside the broader context of what you see in blue zones, right? So blue zones, it's they still community-based. They all go to the same religious institution. They eat the same food. They have the same celebrations. And, and now here in sort of the modern Western societies, it's interesting because I really do think people in their 60s and 70s are uncharted territory with how do you age as well as people in blue zones with all of these factors, but continue to have the social connection, mm. the engagement with your family or your friends, and how do you how do you do that? And so we've created commun- you know senior living centers, and depending on how they're situated, may or may not promote some of the things that you're talking about, but. I think of it almost with just a curiosity, like how is this going to go for us? Because I don't, I can't think of another culture that has tried to do this without a familial setting. Does that make sense? I think it's it's broader than familial, though. So I've been to some of those places, and it's not just the family; it's the entire community. They're all interlocked, and they all they they may not look out after each other, but they know about each other. Right. And I think it's it's broader than that. And I it's I think that's one of the advantages there. It's that you have a lot of people. It's intergenerational living fairly close together. And the the aging parent may live with the family or they may live, you know, wherever, but they all yeah. sort of go together. And I and that's something that I think is quite interesting. These I, I mean, I know that, you know, like the senior living industry, the average age that people go into there, I think is like 86 or something. Like they only go under like 
duress, like they, they mm-hmm. have to. And I and I think that what's very interesting to me is thinking about your community, not just your family, but your community. And how can you, again, it's an asset. So how do you build that? And, you know, for myself, the idea of being in sort of a monoculture of everybody my same age sounds intensely boring to me. Right. Um, right. Like, why would I want to do that? I, I like to have a lot of different kinds of people and different ages around me. And, but it's sort of up to us to, you know, we have agency here. So where do you want to live? How, what are the people you want around you? And how can you work to promote your connection with these other people? Because it, it may not happen just like an act of God. Suddenly you're part of a community. No, you need to take actions. You need to go out there and like say, start saying yes, invite people, you know, all of this stuff and be connected to people. In, in my view, putting all this just on the family is like, whoa, that's heavy. Right. But right. if you have like a lot of people around, that that gets a lot easier. And so it's almost like, you know, accepting that invitation for dinner versus, you know, working late that day is part of building that That's social right. network that you and those are the micro decisions yeah. that once we get clear in our head how that works, like I'm going to borrow a concept from I guess I had named Esther that talked about these elements of health and the spaces that we live in as part of a comprehensive retirement plan. And so imagine meeting with a retirement planner and they say, well, what's your cholesterol? How strong is your balance? You know, how strong is your social network? And and we really focus down literally on, are we going to have enough money to live? And, and of course, that's an important part of it. But I just wonder if there isn't this larger, like who are the professionals that could sit down and do comprehensive retirement planning? Because to me, there would be like five professionals at that desk or the, at that table, right? There would be like your, mm. I don't know, your CPA and your your planner, but then a physician, you know, I don't know, a case manager. I don't know what it would be, but like this idea is it, we want to, we don't just want to live long. We want to live well. Mm-hmm. And that's not factored in when we're looking at, you know, how much money will you get per year if you retire at such and such age? And I just don't know that there's even a forum and maybe ageist and, and that concept is part of filling this gap of if people say, I, yeah, of course I want to retire, but I want to live well. Mm -hmm. And I've earned this period of time where I don't have to work. Like, how are we doing that? How are we preparing for that? I I don't know that there is a structure for that. Not that I know of. I think a lot of this is we need to take responsibility on our own. And we need to be, we need to become people that say yes, rather than no. As you get older, it's a lot easier to say no, because you think like, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed or I don't like these people or they're the wrong political thing or whatever. You just, you know, get used to saying yes become one of those people, be a joiner, be a starter, be somebody who's not afraid to make mistakes. It's especially hard for guys, like do new things, learn new things. It's hard. So what? Just do it. If if you orient your life towards total comfort, you will get total decay. And we need to be continually challenging ourselves, and which is an investment in ourselves. And it's true. Like there's no single person that I know of that's going to be like, okay, well, here's, here's your money. Here's the, you know, all right, let's talk about your lipid levels and let's talk about your balance and how many friends do you have and how many books did you read? Like that's sort of on us. But, but I think again, we can be around people who model that for us. And 
also keep in mind, you are not invisible. You are modeling this for others. And, and, and keeping that in mind that, that I, th I think that a lot of the things that happen in these sort of traditional cultures, they don't have to think about. It's just sort of baked in. We need to think about it. So we need to uh, take conscious action about things to, to cause these, to cause these outcomes. And some people will say, well, oh my God, this is so hard. It's a lot of work. Well, you get to pick your hard, you know, diabetes is pretty hard too. Right. You know, you can, you, you, you can just sort of, I think that it, it, it is a lot of moving parts, but at the, at the end of the day, it's pretty simple. You know, it's like those things that I, those five points that we talked about and understand, like changing your idea of what an asset is and how you in, in, in invest, an asset is an investable quantity. And all of these things are, we need to continue to make investments in them. We can't just, I mean, we can, you can do whatever you want, but like, if you just stop, you just say like, well, I have enough friends. Okay. I don't need more friends. Well, guess what? Some of them move away, some of them die, some of them get sick. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and it's like, oh, I got one friend or I got no friends. Like, right. like that's going to happen. So, you know, we, we, we can take action on that before that happens. I, I think that's, that's really helpful. I'm going to, I keep lying and saying it's my last question. I'm going to ask you one more question because you've Let's been able to read so much, which is, can you just give me one or two things that you read and you had to sit back and think, that was really surprising. I didn't expect that. It could be in the research or hearing a story or just anything that sort of paused for a second that didn't con didn't conflate with yeah. what you thought about going into this. I just, I read a paper the other day. It was super interesting. Rates of dementia are declining in the Western world. And which was like shocking to everybody. Everybody thought like, oh my God, this is going to be this like huge thing. It's, it is still a huge thing, but it's becoming less of a huge thing. And so they were saying, well, why is this happening? It's happening in the, uh, mostly in the Western world. And you see it most pronounced in places like Japan and places like that. And what they, conclusion they came to was it had to do with, car it was linked to cardiovascular health. So healthy heart, healthy brain. Right, and right. The, what they realized was that as people, people are in, as a, as a group are, you know, a little bit, they're in better cardiovascular health now than maybe 20 or 30 years ago and that how these things are correlated which which i i thought that was you know somewhat obvious but also surprising that's that, that's a great development we can't afford higher dementia rates i mean that's no. one of the most expensive yeah one of the most expensive conditions that 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 we treat so well, excellent. I think this has been really great. I just appreciate you taking time to come talk to my audience. And if they like to connect with you or learn more about you, what would be the easiest way to do that? Go to ages.com. That's our main platform. Please, I, I would love for you guys to take the super age quiz. So if you go to ages.com slash quiz, really easy. It's like 10 questions and it takes like three minutes. And then what we do is we sort of type you, we picked animals. Everybody likes an animal. So uh, owls or foxes or dolphins. And then based on that, we send you information targeted towards that. Because as I said, we realized not everybody's the same. So why are we talking to everybody the same? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Right. So, so yeah, do that. That'd be great. And then you can listen to our podcast, Super Age, which is great too. That's great. And I'll link both those in the podcast notes for today. So, well, thank you, David. Thank you so thank you. much for talking with us today. I look forward to 
watching everything else you're going to be putting out and, and learning from you as well. Just I appreciate you being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely.